Sasswood is a show about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, the hopers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit our Facebook page. This is Sass What, a show about Bigfoot. I am one of your hosts, Mark Mansky, and I'm joined today by my son, Andy Mansky. Hello there. So what's new in this week? Oh, this week we've watched a couple movies. In this past couple weeks we've watched a couple movies. We've kind of been, we've watched some Bigfoot movies, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, was it this week we watched all those Indiana Jones movies? Yeah, late last week, yeah. early this week, we did We watched all. all the Indiana Jones movies, which has definitely assured that my dream, which will never be a reality, is to be a Indiana Jones where I go looking for 4chan artifacts. It's my dream, but that won't happen. I'm sad. In real life in or real. in a movie series? Uh, real life. Sorry. Real life. That would have been a good Indiana Jones installment. Well, they did Ancient Aliens in the last one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I'm thinking of like a Yeti scalp or something. That'd be awesome. The army of Bigfoots or something. Just get Mutt in there as the new Indiana Jones. (laughs) (laughs) He got arrested late as of late. Yeah, I forget why. So did Screech, so. Well, that's a different... (laughs) (laughs) Totally Those are much different reasons, I think. Maybe not. Who knows? <laughs> they got in the same fight, got arrested separately. So Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones yeah. is what we've been up to. And <laughs> golf simulations. Well, we mentioned that, actually, yeah, that in the was last fun. one. So, um, What's new with us on your end? <laughs> <laughs> I probably forgot something. Well, I don't know. Can't think of anything, really, unless we shuffle over to the Sasswood News Desk which we'll do right now. And I think the thing that I want to make sure we mention this week is the upcoming Kickstarter that is going to help fund Small Town Monsters' next two movies. Two? It's unprecedented, yes. Two not one in one Kickstarter? You can do that? You can, and you will have the opportunity to do so beginning February 2nd. That is this coming Thursday. So... The episodes generally post on Tuesday. We've been keeping that streak going pretty much for the month of January. And so uh, the Thursday after this episode posts is when the Kickstarter begins. Now, as we said, this is a two-for-one deal. The movie that's in production right now is Mothman of Point Pleasant. And there is a lot of really great... Kickstarter rewards centering around the Mothman, including, but not limited to, a Creature Replicas Mothman figure. You'll get uh, have the opportunity also to get behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, once again, like you had on Boggy Creek Monster, there is the long-awaited release of the Small Town Monsters t-shirt, and much, much more. Today on Facebook... A poster dropped by our friend Matt Harris that has all four Small Town Monsters monsters in it. You have to look closely for Mothman, but he is in there. The Small Town Monsters movie, after Mothman, is going to be Invasion on Chestnut Ridge. And 
That is really awesome to me because we have been hearing Stan Gordon talk for how many years now? Three or four? We've seen him talk. And every year there's he tells the classic sightings and you're reminded of how you know, this whole Pennsylvania high strangeness happened and how it's still happening with new sightings. Every time we see them, there's more and more sightings, which if you're not familiar, um, in Pennsylvania, and it's more western Pennsylvania, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, southwestern. Southwestern, mm-hmm. which is where Chestnut Ridge is, um, there is still high strangeness going on in high levels of high strangeness. Um, you know, in the 70s, almost everywhere, it seemed like, had this, like, you know, Bigfoot being seen and then, like, a UFO being seen at the same time. But in southwestern Pennsylvania, that's still happening. So I'm very interested to see what STM brings to the table with Invasion on Chestnut Ridge. Now would be as good a time as any to announce that we are going to have Stan Gordon himself on Saswat, and that will post at some point in February. So we are very excited about that. Um, Stan Gordon's Silent Invasion is a book that, if you haven't read, you need to get your hands on and read it, because it's going to form a lot of the background to Small Town Monsters movie. So two movies from STM in 2017. If you'd like to support them, I would suggest that you get on Facebook and search up Small Town Monsters. There is an invitation to the event page. And again, that's this Thursday, uh, February 2nd. So uh, get ready for that. We're talking about movies. And one of the movies that we saw, thanks to, is it Amazon Prime Mm -hmm. Video, was the movie somewhere... No, I messed it up. What is it? Something, Something. in the woods. Somewhere in the woods. <laughs> Somewhere in the woods. Somewhere in the woods. Is it a Disney something. movie? Is it really? No. It's Into the Woods. It's a... Something Into Somewhere the Woods is the musical version. Into of... the Woods. <laughs> <laughs> it was the musical version of Something in the Woods. Okay. <laughs> so we saw Something in the Woods about a week ago, was it? Yes, it was. And... It's going to be like our first, I guess, more pop culture Sasquatch phenomenon we review because it's it's this movie about a family in the 1960s. Yes, 60s. And it's actually, it's their story of how there are Bigfoot around their house and... Um, there's this, you know, the kid, the one little kid, they have two kids, um, two boys, the younger one sees it first and he's like, I saw a hairy man cause it's in Texas and, um, it is in Texas, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just the accent. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Texas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's sort of like that. Um, he sees it and... Then I think the, what's it, like 12-year-old? Is that the other age? Sure. The 12-year-old kid sees sees it, right? 
And then it turns out, like, everyone in the family sees it. Then eventually it, like, almost tries to break into the house. It, like, goes up to the front door. And then, spoilers, at the end of the movie, the family gets terrified out of their house. And there's two creatures as opposed to one. One's taller and then one shorter. So is it a male and a female or is it like a father and son? Um, but then once they're scared out of the house, they come back and it's all ransacked. And it's creepy because they destroyed their house. And would have they done that if they were in there? It's a great movie. It is. Spoiler review right there. It's I like it. I really do like it. What do you think about it? Yeah, I would say that the movie is very good at what it does. And I think I'm going to go out on a limb and say that this is just about my favorite looking Bigfoot on screen mm-hmm. that I can remember. I mean, with the with the exception of the long shots of the monster in um, The Legend of Boggy Creek, this is probably my favorite on screen Bigfoot. It's extremely well done. Yeah. Um, the the story that Andy told is is accurate, and it's sort of bookended by a guy and his father having this conversation about, you know, a, a memory from the past, and so that provides sort of a outro or epilogue, um, sort of, uh, I don't know, ambiguous ending. And really, I think the whole movie does a really good job of maintaining that sort of ambiguous tone because it never really, it doesn't try to explain the Bigfoot phenomena. It just is a report of what happened. And in that realm, it does a really good job of just showing kind of the human toll on this particular family of having to endure this set of circumstances. I think the production values were surprisingly good overall. And one comment I made to you, Andy, is I felt like the movie at times almost looked too good. You know, meaning that with modern technology, um, you know, there's a way that you kind of expect something in the 1960s to look. And this looked too good. And I'm not saying that it didn't look period, because they did a lot of things to make it look like it was set in the 60s. But it just looks so clean. You know, I'm not sure what you do about that as a filmmaker, because I'm not a filmmaker. But other than that, I mean, that's really my only criticism of the movie. And otherwise, I would say, watch it while you can. If you have Amazon Amazon Prime Video. Amazon. Amazon. <laughs> oh, my. Um, yeah, so the bottom line is that it got me thinking on a number of levels. One is just the enjoyment of the film and sort of how cinematically they um, render the Bigfoot and sort of the behaviors surrounding that. And it's it brings up, on one level, the subject of habituation, like people living in homes or, or various places and start having long-term Bigfoot activity. It just That raises so many questions, and that's actually something we've talked about on previous episodes. But then the next step in that is, in the film, the younger brother in particular seems to have developed some sort of relationship with the Sasquatch um, to the degree that he is used to the creature's sounds. And there's even a scene where 
the Bigfoot puts his hand on the window and uh, the little kid puts his hand on the window in what's clearly meant to be sort of a bonding move. Um, and so that got me thinking about child Bigfoot interaction cases. And I seem to vaguely recall in the murky corners of my memory that I had read a fairly in-depth case study on a child Bigfoot interaction, and I'm very happy to say that I located that, and I'm going to get into that as part of our episode today of a really incredible child to Bigfoot interaction that took place over the course of years. So we'll get into that in just a second. But first, Andy, I want to know, what was your research like? Or what were your overall thoughts, first of all, the movie, and then your research? Well, um, my thoughts of the movie are very similar to yours. I agree that this is probably one of the best, or the best, Bigfoots on camera. Um, I think the scene where it almost breaks into the house... And then, like, it does that walk away, uh, just in frame, and it, like, that gives this look that it was probably my favorite Bigfoot scene in the movie. Um, I also think that the the interaction between the kid and the Bigfoot was very a very interesting touch to the movie. Um, and I probably have to say, even though I haven't seen that many recently, this is probably my favorite modern fictional Sasquatch film because it doesn't, even though there are some scary elements to it, it's not like, it's more of the adults overreacting think it's thinking it's, you know, going to attack them than it actually is. Um, it's not, you know, this scary Bigfoot wanting to tear every human in half type thing roaring at people, even though it does... It does roar at one point. It's kind of a howl, get out, as opposed to running after them, roaring. And I think it plays the scary, you know, horror side of Bigfoot very well. And I thought, you know, the way it was kind of played of, like, the guy telling the story of the guy telling him the story was very, it was sometimes hard to follow, yet it made sense that it would be that way. Like, this guy once told me a story. I've had that happen. Where it's like, this guy once told me a story about him seeing Bigfoot. So, I think also, like, the he said the book like the bookends yeah. are kind of interesting. Like, the Texas radio mm-hmm. kind of being like, our subject today is Bigfoot. I think that's very interesting. Like, the thought entering the guy's head, and that makes sense for it entering his head, and helping out at his parents' house. And then, like, him giving his thoughts on Bigfoot and then back. Ooh, is that Bigfoot that did that? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I thought it was great. I really did. I loved it. Two things I wanted to mention before we move on. One is that, you know, continuing in this ambiguous phase, the thing that I really liked is that, and you nailed it, you said that the adults often overreact. And what I meant, what that really brought to my mind was the fact that in this film, the motivation of the Bigfoot is never, you, it's unknown. You know, there in, in lots of sort of squatch exploitation movies, Bigfoot's just out to kill. He's bloodthirsty. <laughs> he wants to rip your arms off. But in this, there's really, 
it's unclear as to what Bigfoot wants and what he is he what is his territorialism based off of. And even when the creature is revealed to certain people in the movie, there's a certain amount of, you know, uh, there's potential that this could be more than just a predatorial thing Mm -hmm. happening. But then the humans react with gunfire, generally speaking, which I thought was probably pretty accurate on balance of how things actually go. So I like that, that that was left open-ended. The other thing that, you know, I wish I knew more about is that at the beginning it has sort of what you expect there to be at the beginning of a Bigfoot movie, which is just a screenshot that says, based on actual events. Doesn't say what those are. Doesn't say if it's a singular case or if it's sort of a mashup of cases and habituation type situations, but there is that part of me that wants to know what are what's the actual events that this is based on. I would love to know that. And uh, I don't know if that's information that can be gleaned or not. But anyway, well done. Yes. Something in the woods. Uh, this came out at essentially the same time as Minerva Monster. And... Uh, So for personal reasons, I wasn't paying as much attention to something in the woods, but I'm really glad that they got on Amazon and it gives everybody who has that service the ability to check it out for free. So do that if you can. And we'd love to hear what you think about the movie as well. So into the woods, into the woods Um, with children and Bigfoot (laughs) holding hands and dancing a merry jig. So my research, I'll jump into it, is from the book Impossible Visits. This story takes place in New York State. It is about a man named Jerry, who at the time this book was written, I believe, um, he was a 30-year-old man. He has been, and this is from the book, and he has been experiencing, he has experiences with Sasquatch since childhood. And the author has corresponded with him from since November of 2006, and he has visited him where he has seen the Bigfoot in June and December of 2007. And first of all, I'd like to state I'm going to be reading from the book for, you know, part of this so you can actually hear what the author says, but I've sort of picked and choose what I'm going to read because there is a little bit that's weird, even for a discussion about (laughs) giant (laughs) apes in America. Um, This says... it. He was six years old when it happened. When I met them for the first time, I had peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, Jerry told me. As I remember it, they stayed close to me, but divided the pieces up between them. Remember, we were way back in the wood, back in the woods, so they, so they knew nothing was for them to run and hide, for it was just me. When they finished what was my lunch, but gave to them instead, they wanted more, but but that was it. So the main male, Midget, and his woman, I called her mama, seen that I gave them my food and fed me some of theirs, like some berries we went foraging for. They tasted good from what I remember, but I knew I was going to have dinner waiting for me when I went home. For the next 24 years, Jerry has has kept up consistent and loyal contact with these same the same group of Sasquatch because they live in 
a sim- severely limited tract of land boxed in by suburban residences, he has steadfastly kept their secret, knowing that any leak could cause their their ouster, if not their destruction. They have s- they've subsisted here, in fact, since before Jerry's great-grandfather first interacted with them in the 1950s, and their accounts were passed down through the generations. And then moving on, this is Jerry's opinion on what they are. He says, I like to refer to them as people, not animals. He thinks that they were many races of Homo sapiens roaming the earth at one time, but many of them went extinct. I just like to think that there is... I just like to think that there is one race that slipped through the cracks and remained on the wild side of things. And then continuing on. They have managed to survive without discovery in constricted, limited forest. And this is why I said that is because the forest is only seven square miles. I can't say how many back... No, this is upstate New York. This is upstate New York. Okay. I can't say how many are back there, but there are at least five or six that I know of. When I first met Midget, that's what he calls the main male, the the leader, his father was still alive and he was very old, but didn't look like it through his actions. And this is a story that Jerry tells to the author about him and his friend. Oh, no, this is about him and his friend. One time I brought my friend back there when cutting school and we were t- we were walking about a quarter mile back and I looked to my side and there was Junior, just sitting there with a grin on his face looking at me like an old friend being reacquainted. My school friend started shaking uncontrollably and ran back to school. After Midget came into sight with his brother, we had a visit for a while and I went back to school myself. When I ran into my friend in the hall, he was so shaken up he forgot what happened which is good because I think that happens to a bunch of people because it's so unbelievable that their brain doesn't register it. Just like the Indian folklore, they say that they have magic and control you. Well, maybe maybe that means we've had multiple sightings and just forgot. Yeah, that makes makes sense. I'm almost okay with that. Um, And his theory is these people are going to be here after man is extinct. They'll be using our structures in a simplified way, like a highway overpass will be their idea of a home, for instance, and so forth. And it mentions that they had a baby, Midget and his woman. I believe her name is Mama, he's referred to. Did Jerry see it? Yes. Really? Um. Yeah, he was taken back in the woods. He says he might have been the only human to ever see a baby Bigfoot. Um, and so in the family that he know of, knows of, there's Midget, Mama, Sissy Jr., and Little Brother, plus Midget's brother, who I call Uncle Bugout. Uncle Bugout. Uncle Bugout. Why is that, why Uncle Bugout? Is there any... Because he loses his temper. Oh, really? Yeah. Uncle Bugout. <laughs> I'm sorry. Everyone should have an Uncle Bugout, really, when you think about it. Maybe yeah. we all do. We all do. You have an Uncle Bug out? Sure, we all do. Um, Midget has been at least 10 feet for... Midget has been at least 10 feet for as long as I've known him. 
and three or four feet wide, a true powerhouse. He can clear a path, run in full speed. And then it mentions that he moved to another part of New York and that he made connections with another family group in the area where he moved to. So So his first experience was that the peanut butter and jelly, yes. the sharing the I sandwich. assume so. That's what it says, yeah. So Did it say how old he was? Six, I think. Six? Okay. I just threw the Kindle on the bed. That's okay. I can go track if you want. <laughs> no, it's all right. Um, it's very interesting to me, honestly. It sounds like him, not like, I don't know. It sounds weird. Um, it sounds weird. Uh, to me, it seems like he's trying almost, he's making himself see this. Like it's his imaginary friends out in the woods and he, you know, when he's sad, he goes out in the woods and hangs out with Uncle Bugat. So. Wrecks things. Wrecks things. Loses his temper. Um, I thought it was interesting how he said he went forging with for berries with them. But that was very interesting. Again, it's from the book Impossible Visits. Yeah. By Christopher Knoll. Yes. This brings up the fundamental issue with eyewitness accounts, and that is any sighting of these creatures is going to be classified as weird. And so the problem is either, as you said, maybe psychologically a person can get themselves into a place where they want these things to happen and almost cause them to happen, and it exists purely in their mind. But the great what if in any eyewitness report that you weren't there to participate in is, what if it's all true? You know, what if yeah. Jerry is actually having these experiences? I mean, we it's very easy for us to kind of smile at the... the um, descriptions of things, and it, it's a very human impulse to name things. That that in itself is not that strange because people tend to anthropomorphize all sorts of things, and it makes sense that something that's so close anthropologically, you would name them. Um, so that's what I think of, and it's sort of a, a torn between two poles type of thing for me. On one hand, how credible do I think it is? There's a couple pretty unlikely things to this story, um, especially when you let us know that when he relocated, there was a new Bigfoot family that he evidently made contact with, uh, other details as well. But for me, the great mystery of this whole thing is the what if. Uh, what if everything that Jerry says is objectively true? That's just fascinating to me. And the whole idea of the interaction with the child and the feeding and, you know, you give me some of your food and we'll give you some of ours, that would be, as a child, sort of the ultimate wish fulfillment, wouldn't it? I mean, it's a Bigfoot. Yeah. Something it doesn't say in there, I'm pretty sure, because the article continues on, uh, the chapter continues, and... um. It mentions 
like his modern day encounters. So maybe we'll have later on's we'll do Sasquatch revisits, Jerry and his Bigfoot family. So um, it's just such an interesting story. I do remember though that it said with the baby Bigfoot, it had a blanket that um, evidently he thought they scavenged for in like junk. Okay. Yeah. That's part of the stuff I cut out. Okay. So. <laughs> so it's already the behind the scenes. Yeah, it's already We've the secrets there. behind Jerry. Okay. Well, all right. So I meant what I'd like to do, maybe we'll do this at the very end, is just speculate about, you know, taking it to the de- the degree of if these are true, then why would Bigfoot want to interact with a human child besides to eat them? <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll so. <laughs> visit that later. So the account that I started to think of as we were watching something in the woods, I wasn't sure where exactly it was located, but it didn't take me long to run across it again. And it's from one of my very favorite Bigfoot books of all time, The Locals, a contemporary investigation of the Bigfoot Sasquatch phenomenon by none other than Tom Powell. And I guess this would also function as my Bigfoot bookshelf um, selection of the week, although we don't have time to get into the ins and outs of the book. It remains for me a very important read. I just love this book so much and could reread it numerous times, largely because what Powell does is bring to the forefront a number of new Bigfoot stories and accounts. It's not a rehash. As much as I love the books that rehash the classics, it is not a rehash of the classics. It's almost all brand new material, at least at the time of the writing, which was in the 2000s, I believe. So I should be more prepared in talking about it. It was, yeah, copyright 2003, just like you. (laughs) But, okay, so located in the chapter of the locals called The Guardians, is this unbelievable tale of a woman named Dora Bradley. And that's what I'd like to present to you now in terms of the Bigfoot-child interaction and where that went. I find this to be utterly compelling, and you can be the judge. Tom Powell writes, Dora Bradley thought everyone had Bigfoots in the woods around the home where they grew up. She certainly did, and she didn't particularly like it. They never harmed her, they just annoyed her. Bigfoots and snakes were her childhood enemies. I spoke with Dora Bradley through her husband on February 22, 2002. Dora is hearing impaired and so must converse on the phone through a person who can hear me and also use sign language to convey her thoughts and responses. Her husband, Charlie, served as this go-between in our conversation. It was a unique interview. Dora explained through her husband that she grew up in an isolated rural household in Montgomery County, Missouri. She was one of eight children living in a rented two-bedroom house outside of Jonesburg. She often slept by an open window that had no window screen. Cornfields and woods surrounded the house she lived in. The limestone topography in that part of Missouri includes many caves. There were caves around her childhood home, some of which were unmapped. In the early 1960s, when she was growing up, the Bigfoots would sometimes annoy her. The fact that on summer nights she slept near an open window without a screen didn't help. There were several times when she would awaken in the night and feel a large, leathery, hair-covered hand on her chest. She knew what it was. It was one of the Bigfoots. 
She did not like the Bigfoots. They smelled bad, and they made her very uneasy, but she also knew from the many times she saw them that they would not hurt her. Dora was not the only one who knew about the Bigfoots. Her brother had also seen them often. Her sister once saw a gray one crossing the road. Her impression at the time was that it was an elderly Bigfoot. As a child of seven, Dora recalls a time when she, her brother, and another girl played with a juvenile Bigfoot. While they were playing, Dora was aware of the presence of an unseen Bigfoot, presumably an adult, who supervised the interaction with the human children from just out of sight. The juvenile Bigfoot recalls Dora was very rough in its manner of play, and it hurt her at one point when it grabbed her around the shoulders. She also recalls that the juvenile smelled very bad. For both of these reasons, Dora was not very eager to play with the juvenile Bigfoot again. Dora also recalls one particular night when she was anxiously awaiting the arrival of her overdue father. Her father had a drinking problem, and she was afraid that in his inebriated state he had crashed his pickup somewhere. Dora explained, I stood in the den watching through the window and the door. As I looked outside, I saw a person cradled in two huge black arms as it moved into the spotlight in the front yard. I recognized the person as my father as he was set down, and the Bigfoot disappeared. He struggled to walk to the door. I screamed, and my mother came. I saw my father's conversation with my mother for a few minutes, and he was drunk and was in pain from the accident. I never knew what he said to my mother. He might have told her about Bigfoot besides his truck accident. His wrecked pickup truck was later found three miles away on the gravel road. When I was seven years old, I woke up one late summer night. It was a full moon with a breeze. I found that I was lying on a bed made of sticks. I felt chilly because my back touched a cold cave wall. I saw my brother sitting on a stick bed across from me in the small cave. I smelled something unpleasant. I watched very hard and realized it was a dark Bigfoot sitting about five feet from me. I saw another Bigfoot digging a hole in the dirt. It picked up the small dark body of what might have been a dead infant and put it into the earth. My brother stood up because of the Bigfoot walking towards us. It picked my brother up and walked away. I cried and the Bigfoot sitting next to me pulled me closer. I took my head away from its chest and sat motionlessly on its lap. I saw the other Bigfoot come back. I stood up and it picked me up. I was like a football in its arm. I must admit I enjoyed riding because the Bigfoot took big steps so gracefully. We went across the cornfield from the woods to my house. The Bigfoot dropped me off in our garden. I looked back. It was halfway across the cornfield toward the woods. After the next time something like this happened, I decided that I would not sleep next to an unscreened open window anymore. I smelled something bad out of my window. I felt the coarse, hairy, heavy hand resting on my chest. At first I thought it was a giant spider, but I felt a warm, leathery thumb, horse, hairy hand. I held my breath as long as possible. It pulled me out of the window as if I was a rag doll. It carried me into our front yard and went across the other side of the ditch beside the road. I saw five Bigfoots sitting in the ditch. I was quite scared. The Bigfoot put me on its lap. It hurt when it pulled on my hair. I watched in front of my house, and my parents' big window was still dark. I did not move for some time and might have dozed on its lap a couple times. I finally got up and walked away. I looked back and saw six Bigfoots walking into the cornfield. That was when I was 15. Another time we had some sightings of Bigfoot in our cornfield or in our backyard, but very dark to see. We smelled them, 
On the night of my graduation, I went home and cried because I lived in boarding school for the deaf for 12 years and it became my second home. I missed it. Everyone slept, but I cried quietly in my bed. I saw Bigfoot coming and sitting by my window. My bed was away from the window. I stopped crying fast and closed my eyes so hard because I did not want Bigfoot to bother me anymore. That was the last time I saw Bigfoot. When I got married, my husband and I went to the theater and watched the movie called Bigfoot. I got excited because I learned the word Bigfoot for the creature and told him that Bigfoot's never harmed my family, unlike the movie. My husband looked at me. I asked him if Bigfoot harmed his family. He said he never saw Bigfoot. At first, I did not understand because I thought Bigfoots were common everywhere. I learned that they were not. I told him that my hometown had Bigfoots. He asked me why no one reported Bigfoot in my hometown. I asked my family about that. They asked me, who would believe us? I'm a little nervous about showing someone the burial. I want to, but I really don't want to see Bigfoot again. I never liked Bigfoot. I want you to know that. My brother said he saw Bigfoot, but he was very quiet about it. He didn't offer any details. When he died a few years ago, his wife told me that he told her some stories about Bigfoot himself and me. I think he knew that night I was with a few Bigfoots on the other side of the road and sat in the ditch in front of my house. The next morning, I tried to tell my mother that a big stinky monster got me out of the window and carried me across the road to the ditch. I was forced to sit on the monster's lap. It pulled my hair. Then another monster took me and another monster took me. About four or five monsters. My hair is real hurt. My brother watched me talking to her. I lip-read him. He said to her, I told you, I told you. He might have seen through the screen door. He slept in the den where the screen door was. It was hot summer, full moon night, and the door was left open, but screen door was hooked or locked. There are some more stories about Bigfoot. They pumped our water well once. One night, my two older sisters woke me up and told me to look at the pond out the window. I was able to see well on the full moon night. I looked at our pond like my sisters wanted me to and saw Bigfoot lifting our huge pig up real high. I pulled back out of the window and my sisters wanted to know, but I ran to my bed and covered my head with the blanket. Early next morning, I got up and saw my daddy outside. He stood next to the motionless, stiff pig lying on the ground near our garden. He looked at me. He pointed to our pond and to the ground where the pig was lying without breaking the electric wire. He couldn't figure it out. Also, there was no bleeding or bites on the pig. I wanted to tell my daddy what I saw, but I couldn't speak. I did not see how Bigfoot killed our pig. I watched my daddy pulling our stiff pig's hooves to the different place and buried it. My tears started flowing, not because I felt sorry for pig, but I couldn't communicate. I was probably 12 years old. Dora Bradley. Tom Powell writes, It's a remarkable set of events. If Renee DeHinden had heard those events, I doubt he would have any trouble accepting Osman's, Albert Osman's less spectacular claims. On the other hand, if DeHinden found Osman's claims to be improbable, he would have an even harder time accepting the chronicles of Dora Bradley. If this tale is legitimate then there is a lot more than simple language and simple social structure in Bigfoot communities. 
If Dora did indeed witness the burial of a Bigfoot about 40 years ago, it would be helpful to revisit this location today and see what, if anything, can be found. She was kind enough to send me maps of the location, which I have passed on to a local Missouri researcher. I'm not getting my hopes up, for 40 years is more than enough time to decompose all the remains beyond recognition. Teeth are the most enduring parts of a human or animal body, and the infant Dora saw entombed may not have had any teeth yet if it died at or just after birth. I'm still waiting for feedback from the researcher who has promised to try and locate the site. Without any remains to show, I still feel that Dora Bradley's account has provided a wealth of useful information and insight into Sasquatch behavior. We're given a detailed chronicle of Sasquatches behaving as virtual protectors of a rural household to the point of getting the inebriated dad out of a car wreck in the ditch and dumping him in the front yard where he belonged. I don't think there are too many people who are creative enough to have made up that kind of an event as an embellishment of a still stranger story. The account of Harry Oakes later in this chapter provides a suggestion of a pattern to this astounding claim. Then there's the matter of the child being lifted out of the window and then going for a ride around the landscape, courtesy of the local Sasquatches. Part of a night was spent in a cave, not just witnessing the apparent burial of an infant Sasquatch, but also being coaxed into snuggling, perhaps as part of some sort of replacement therapy to a grieving mother Sasquatch. And there's lots more where that came from, but I'll just leave it there for now. Andy, your thoughts? That's awesome. That's such a good story with how it it chronicles everything. And just nothing about that seems really out there to me, if that makes sense. Even though, you know, the idea of, you know, Bigfoot giving you a ride around the yard does sound a little weird. Nothing's that, nothing makes you go, huh? Nothing about... Her story makes you feel like, you know, she might have wanted attention, but if she wanted attention, I highly doubt she'd get it that way. Um, It's just an amazing story to me how it does, you know, there's always the questions in the Sasquatch community that are like, why don't we have any bones? And that explains it. They, or might explain it, they bury their, at least their young, And it's the idea of just the Bigfoot interacting with the younger person. Just, it's amazing how they would do that. And, like, we might get to why do they do that as opposed to easy prey. Um, It's just, it's mind-boggling in a good way. How it's just so... Like the story of it, the dad getting the in the car wreck and then it rescuing it and, you know, you go, you don't belong in the ditch, you belong here. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. I mean, we should hire them for, you know, search and rescue. They do a better job than... <laughs> oh, that's for sure. That's for And that's probably an episode for another time is Bigfoot rescue stories because there are stories like that. This is... Far from the only one. To me, the thing, the ring of authenticity about this story is where Dora Bradley watches the movie and tells her husband about, you know, gives, you know, gets into that conversation where Bigfoot is just a matter of course, and she doesn't like him, 
And what do you think? And her husband's just like, what? Yeah. (laughs) And it's sort of her moment of realization that not everyone has these encounters. Uh, To me, I mean, that kind of coupled with her disabilities gives her, she has no reason to make this up. Um, Once again, I mean, you have to wonder about psychological you know, self-created scenarios. But which she doesn't I don't, want them there. The but she doesn't that. like them, right. It, it is not wish fulfillment mm-hmm. in her case at all. She'd rather not interact with them. When she came back, when she was older, she didn't want to see them. It wasn't like the happy reunion mm-hmm. of, they took <gasps> me for butt. one last ride, you know, and the tear-jerking ending. It is an inconvenience to her life. But um, I don't know, all of the... From a story standpoint, just thinking of this purely as a narrative, it just seems to have the ring of truth to it. Part of that is her not wanting them to be there. Part of it is, you know, the realization that what I thought was sort of a commonplace occurrence really isn't just an amazing thing. And the locals, the book is filled with those sort of reports and it's just a phenomenal read and dora bradley's story i think is again an opportunity for you to sit there and say okay if it didn't happen exactly the way she reported it then what happened how can you possibly explain any of that it's a bear a bear (laughs) it's a bear um you know the bears with hands and eight feet tall and human feet human feet and just the whole like Another thing is, you know, without, like, the elements you talked about briefly just then with her seeing the movie was, you know, the whole, she thought it was normal, which is another, like, this is her telling the truth. And then her, just then, after seeing a movie, finding out it's called Bigfoot, never being like, and then I went to the library and looked up Harry Men. It's just amazing. I just want to read another little section of this because it's very well worth mentioning. Uh, Tom Powell says, Perhaps the fact that one child was deaf was one uh, was well understood by the Sasquatches. This child, and Dora, required particular attention but was more compassionately regarded by the Sasquatches as a result. If the creatures had empathy, she would be the recipient of it. Dora was also more easily trusted by the Sasquatches because she had such a limited ability to communicate with her family. And then, uh, after reading the first draft of this chapter, she elaborated, My experiences occurred only on full moonlit nights, and I was always returned on the same night. That was when everyone, including me, was asleep, and Bigfoots had their opportunity. I wouldn't be surprised to find that Bigfoots watched us every day. I had a few experiences with them, but not every day, and rarely during daylight. My problem was communication, and I agree with you that Bigfoots knew my handicap and took advantage of it. I was 15 years old when I told my mother about my experience with Bigfoot. Not very long after that, my grandfather, who was a carpenter, put screens on every window. Also, my mother rearranged our beds and moved them away from the windows. That was my last time being taken by Bigfoot. So that, in her case, makes a lot of sense. You know, she's not able to tell anybody very easily about what's happening because communication's already a problem. So that leads into what I'd like to spend the rest of this episode doing, and that's talking about if Bigfoot 
has interaction with children. Why do you think that is? It is, you know, it's a question that's hard to answer, but I really think it's because the whole idea of children can less likely attack back. Um, you know, if they kidnap a adult, um, even though in the Albert Osman story they do, they'll most likely fight back, which is what Albert Osman did. He didn't want to he didn't want to stay eventually, and you know, with kids, they'll be and like in that story, they'll be like, I don't want to be here, but I guess I'll just be here since I can't fight you. So I think the whole idea of the child not being able to fight back as much might be something. And, you know, they're easier to carry is why, you know. You know, with adults, you have to put them on your shoulder or something. <laughs> Kids, you can just, you know, hold cradle. World folklore is filled with cautionary tales of don't go near the woods because something might grab you and run away with you and you're never seen again. So, you know, I sort of flippantly mentioned that they want to eat you, but that has been kind of a, a folkloric um, theme in a lot of tale telling. In these scenarios, there seems to be a gentleness, I guess, or a curiosity that the creatures have. And I think you put your finger on it when you said that they're, you know, the aggression level is non-existent. I mean, some children would probably fight and kick you and flip out, which would be an appropriate reaction. But at the same time, I think children are also capable of kind of a sense of wonder where they, would, they wouldn't immediately discount what they're seeing. They would just think it's a monkey or a gorilla or like there is, there's a natural explanation for it and they're curious and interested in it. But I also think you're right. They can't fight back against a giant eight-foot-tall, super-muscular creature. And also, I think, just from a storytelling standpoint, there's just immense appeal, and we see this across storytelling platforms, of a child forming a bond with a large creature that everybody else misunderstands. And you think of it in those terms, you know, innumerable stories are told that go in that direction. Um and something in the woods, I think, also just nailed that idea of the only person in the story who regards the creature in any way besides terror is the youngest brother, who's forming this bond with one of the creatures. Everybody else shoots at it. Everybody goes out there with the express idea of killing the monster, kill the beast, right? And get rid of the threat, whether there is a threat or not, is not explored. And maybe that's the real reason, is that Bigfoot knows that there will not be the immediate aggressive reaction, testing to see if maybe now we can interact with human beings and yes. not get yes. killed. You can. At least with us. Interact with us. <laughs> if Bigfoot, you are a Bigfoot... If you're listening. <laughs> Please interact with us. Um, interact with us on social media <laughs> <laughs> and stuff. Um, you know, it's just, it's such a great idea of 
Bigfoot interacting with a kid. And, you know, all... I mean, with a kid, there's... You know, there's definitely... You can add some skepticism to it, because, you know, wild imagination. But it's almost more believable from a kid than an adult. Like, with adult habituation cases, with certain ones, there's definitely a weird element to it, where you... You almost feel like they are out to say, hey, you can pay $30 and get a live feed from my Bigfoot habituation site, and... They have those? No. <laughs> sort of, I guess. If you know, if you come across one, let me know. Okay. Isn't... Wasn't there something on Coast to Coast once where a guy had captured Bigfoot and had a pay-per-view Oh, page? yes. That's another story for another time. Maybe never. <laughs> another time aka never well that's about it for us this week if you'd like to make contact with us there's a variety of ways you can do that you can just find us on our facebook page you can also find us on twitter at sasswhat show write us at sasswhatmail at gmail.com and is that it? Oh, you know what? Facebook. I never said... I did say Facebook. Okay, sorry. At the beginning, I neglected to mention, bad host, hello to our listeners at 97.1 FM, Wadsworth Community Radio. We appreciate your listenership. So, for Seth Breedlove and Small Town Monsters, for all people on the track of Bigfoot, this is Mark and Andy Mansky saying, enjoy the quest.